Making the Cut, Editors Talk Collaborations in Korea, a program of New York Women in Film and Television, was recorded at Technicolor Postworks New York on Wednesday, February 24th, 2016. The panel was hosted by Technicolor Postworks New York with special thanks to Clark Henderson, Post New York Alliance, and the Blue Collar Post Collective. Thank you, New York Women in Film and Television, for sharing this discussion with the Post New York Alliance podcast. My name's Dwana Butler. I'm the program coordinator here at New York Women in Film and Television. We're so glad you can all come out um, for the program this evening. Um, do we have a number? I think we have a number of member non-members in the house. Is that true? Yes. Um, and even for the members that are here, um, if you're not familiar with what NYWIF's mandate is, we basically have four different things that we focus on. We have events like this, our um, career development workshops um, to help you on your journey to meet people to network. Um, so that's one of our focus. We also um, preserve women's films. We advocate for equity in the business for women, which is really important at this point in time. And we also celebrate women's achievements. So we're really excited that you're able to join us in that and in these efforts. Um, I would love to introduce Clark Henderson. Clark Henderson is here, senior VP of, is it post-production? Yeah. At Technicolor Postwork. Theatrical services, everyone. So I'm gonna hand this off to um, Clark. Clark was really amazing. Um, he's on the chair of Post NY, um, Post NY Alliance, right? And um, I reached out to Clark. Um, he said we needed a space to host this event. And he was like, come on down. And it just really made it wonderful for us um, and the staff here. So I'm gonna hand off to Clark. <coughs> I guess I get to make a little propaganda statement. <laughs> uh, this is Technicolor. You probably heard of us. Uh, we have uh, probably the largest post-production facility in town. Uh, I think we have four DI theaters, uh, I don't know, half a dozen mixed theaters. Uh, we do finishing for broadcast television, we do reality television, we do theatrical features, uh, and we do all sorts of sound work for the same thing. So uh, if you're interested, just ask for me here and uh, I can help you uh, 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 give you a quote or whatever you need, all right? Excellent, thanks Clark. Um, a few housekeeping things as well. You'll see in your programs, we have some Twitter handles, also for NIWF, you know, tweet, you know, let folks know what we're doing here as well. Um, the program's gonna run to about 8.30, so we'll have a little reception outside, so do join us. We do need to leave the space at 9 p.m., so, you know, we'll wrap up then. And also there's like coffee carafes and such outside too, so definitely help yourself. With that, I wanna say thank you also to Cherie Delon. It's our members who produce our programs here at NYWIF. And Cherie had been wanting to do this for a while. I'm so glad that we're actually here doing this because it's been a little bit and it's a very important topic. So um, again, thanks to Cherie for doing that. I also want to thank, um, again, Post NY Alliance and the Blue Collar Post Collective who were great about getting the word out as well for our members. So um, with that said, I'm going to hand off to Cherie. Oh. <laughs> um, so, oh, right. <laughs> Hello? Oh, so we are also, um, as she says, uh, partnering with uh, New York Post Alliance, and they're running a podcast of the discussion tonight. So if you have any friends that didn't make it out tonight, be sure to check in with them, and maybe even if you want to play it back and listen to some more of the topics, you can do that. So check that out. Um, but first of all, I want to just thank all of you guys for coming here tonight. It's really great to have such a diversity of experience 
um, from features and web series and um, broadcast. It's really great. So I encourage you all to take a look at their um, bios over here because um, you really want to know these women. They're doing some amazing work. Um, the main reason that I wanted to schedule the panel tonight is to talk about how the process of learning the craft of editing has really changed with um, digital technology. No longer necessarily is the assistant in even in the room. And with that also goes the opportunity to observe the collaborative process between the editor and the director as they're sort of shaping the film and, and getting it out into the world. So we'll talk a little bit tonight about mentoring, but also some sort of best practices when you're thinking about forging a career in editing and making that happen. Um, and with that, I'm going to open it up to the panelists. And we'll start off <laughs> right here with Gita. Is there anything in particular you want me to start on? So um, so I actually, I'm looking at everybody, and I don't know if I'm the oldest person on this panel, but I started in editing when it actually was a process where we were working with film itself and splicers, and I started on feature films, and my, the first film I ever worked on was Malcolm X as an assistant editor, and um, I think there were, th it was a huge edit room, it was a year and a half film to cut, just the edit process alone, and, um, and there was, you know, there was the main editor, and then there was the first assistant editor, the second assistant editor, and then there were two or three apprentices, and I was first, I think, an intern, and then I got bumped up to an apprentice, and um, we had a library of film, and you literally had to sit with the editor all day and because they were where we were working on a Steenbeck and take trims and you know find pieces of film and so that is how I learned how to edit and um, ironically it actually because because I continued to work for Spike Lee and he was one of the last to transition to Avid even though this you know this media this sort of new format of editing was coming about um, we stayed on we were like dragging behind everybody else and stayed on Steenbeck for a really long time but I found that it was an incredible process of being in the room all day with someone and really learning the the, the craft um, and learning the art and Sam Pollard was my mentor. I also worked with Barry Brown, but Sam Pollard is really who I was raised with. And he taught me, I think, everything, you know, mostly everything that I know. Um, I would say that I try to emulate that today, even so, even though we are on Avid and a working on Premiere and Final Cut or whatever else, if there is another, an assistant, I always try to have them there for a large part of the day or some of the day because I do think you can work simultaneously and I do think it's important to have that collaborative process and to bounce ideas off of somebody else other than the director who often gets on your nerves and you don't you know so it's you know to have and that way you can also gang up on them but that's <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really one of the main reasons but um, so that has sort of stayed with me the um, the idea of having someone in the room with you that you can work with and that you can learn story craft through and and um, and I, I basically started in features and then transitioned to documentary and found that obviously m you know they're even though they're extremely different there's al always just the critical aspect of telling a good story right in documentary just as much as in narrative the story is critical um, and so it was a you know it was a good 
sort of starting out in feature, I think, was a good transition for me. Um, and I think that's it. That's it for, for now. Hey there, I'm Fetty. Um, I went to film school and took a sort of detour in web producing for a little while after that. Um, came back to New York in 2001 and um, started as an intern at a small production company. Um, was lucky enough to meet a fantastic editor there who kind of took me under her wing and I got hired as an assistant editor. Um, and eventually I started co-editing with her um, and one of the directors she was working with kept me on and that's kind of how I got my start. I work mostly in um, broadcast documentary, feature length documentary. Um, you know, I think sometimes the production schedules don't allow for that sort of having the assistant in the room as much as I would maybe like. Um, so I really try to, you know, put things aside that I can say, okay, here's something you can have a crack at, send it back to me and we'll talk about it later, or that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, is that good enough to start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hi, my name is Carla, and um, I also went to film school, and I uh, it was a, a program where you only did documentary filmmaking, um, and um, they prep you in the program to be able to be an independent producer, and if you don't have any money to hire anybody to just be able to do everything. <laughs> but I pretty quickly realized that production gave me a stomachache that I did not <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> Being on the field, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I really loved. Uh, but the editing and the mental process of editing, I, I really got into and, and I really loved. So, so pretty much during film school, I decided that that's, that was kind of the thing that I really wanted to focus on. And I was really lucky um, right after film school, I was hired as a translator uh, for a feature documentary. And um, it was being edited by a very experienced editor who was incredibly generous. And I'm seeing a pattern here of uh, you know of having mentors and, and, and really learning a lot from them. And uh, you know, same thing, um, I did some assistant editing and, um, and she was incredibly generous and she gave me some footage to work with. And a couple of the scenes that I, that I worked on ended up in the film, um, pretty close to what I, I, I had done. Um, so I ended up getting a second editing um, credit in the film, um, which was really great because coming from film school, I was hearing from a lot of recent graduates that they were getting stuck as assistant editors and they weren't like moving on from that. Um, so I felt really lucky about it, but I do feel that, you know, it was a very much a conscious decision. They weren't paying me and I would just stay around. <laughs> and, and my mentor was, you know, super generous and, and kind of brought me into the conversation of structure. And, and even though I felt very confident about um, the storytelling techniques and what I had learned from film school, um, it was pretty much just working on shorts and and this experience with with this experienced editor was you know thinking about structure for a feature film is a whole comp you know a very different monster and that was incredibly valuable uh, for me hi I'm Sheila um, definitely a common theme here of um, I'm not film school but I think Sri and I uh, both studied broadcast journalism and uh, so I come from originally a news perspective, but I also was a writer and an actress. And so I kind of came at storytelling from a lot of different 
um, perspectives. And it's always been storytelling for me. I took a little bit of a detour and worked in politics for a while. But, uh, <laughs> but even that kind of ended up informing what I do in a lot of ways. And so I ended up coming to New York, and I figured documentary was kind of a nice synthesis of the various um, things that I had done and things I was interested in. And so I started on the producing side, actually. And I, I interned for a while, and then gradually I, I met somebody who was working on a project that I felt really connected to, which was the um, I Receive Persian Wedding film. And I ended up becoming a producer on that movie and um, a, a writer on it. And that was a huge experience because it really it took me through the whole process of getting the grant and finishing. And you know that was a really long process. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know if I'm cut out to like be the filmmaker. That's, <laughs> that's a long time with the baby because then afterwards you have to take the baby out you know, and, and parade it around. And so I was like, mm, I like variety too much. I don't know if I could do that. So I, I was captivated by the editing process because it was connected to you know, some of the producing I was doing and the writing, but it was getting into the storytelling in a more hands-on way. Um, and at that time, Final Cut was uh, kind of really exploding on the scene, and um, I just, you know, I was just like, I'm not going to go to film school. It's, you know, it's probably not viable at this point, especially because I was coming to it a little bit later. I didn't want to invest that kind of time, and so I found um, the Edit Center which uh, still exists, although it's moved uh, locations and I think shifted its focus a little bit because Final Cut Pro is now Final Cut X and <laughs> Final Cut emphasis on the X. <laughs> so, um, but that was a great program because it was six weeks and you delved into the material like right away and it was like kind of crazy, you know, it's like here's the software and here's real material to edit, uh, both documentary and narrative and this was, these were films that were getting made and went on to be in like South by Southwest and um, Oscar nominated and it was really incredible to work on that <laughs> level of material your first time out but also extremely intimidating because you're like what key is the oh man I don't know how to do this <laughs> but it was really a great like you know throw yourself into it kind of way of of, of moving from producing to editing and I kind of got hooked and and I because I'd had a background in uh, documentary already and um, I'd done a bunch of archival for the Iran film I got pulled into working on Inside Job from someone I met through the Edit Center, and they were cutting it at the edit, at, in Final Frame, which is where the Edit Center was, was housed. And so that kind of launched me. And uh, you know, you just kind of keep going, and you make connections. And, and yeah, the, in terms of m moving from assisting to the edit <laughs> chair, I mean, that's, it's really, you know, like, like we've already mentioned here, it's not an easy transition anymore. It's very nonlinear. Haha. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it, it's sort of, are you going to find the right person? Are you going to find the right project that gives you both the space uh, to be there because, you know, there has to be more than one system if you're going to work in the room with the editor? Or, and are you going to find the right person who says, um, you know, I want you to take some stuff on and we're, we're in this together? And I did find that person and that got me onto my first sort of co editing job on a film called Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, which is Shaul Lynch's film um, that Maya also worked on. <laughs> and, um, and that was a long process that involved multiple hands, and, and that really gave me an opportunity to step up and um, push myself to the next level. And one thing I'll credit Shaul with a lot, and I say this all the time to people, is that as a filmmaker, she also, when she interviewed me, she asked me where I was in my career and what I wanted. So she was very um, c 
conscious in a way that I actually don't come across a lot, uh, which is interesting. And um, it, it made a difference, I think, because then when the opportunity did arise, um, she, you know, she was already open to me coming on in a, in a bigger role. And so, and she, at the end, you know, she, we had this awesome dinner in, in Toronto when it premiered and, and she made that point, you know, at dinner in front of everybody, you know, that she had given me a shot and that I'd stepped up to the role and it was really touching and I really appreciated it. And, you know, the more you go on in your career, the more you realize how rare those experiences can be. And so I really, I really cherish that. And yeah, and I just finished a big project also uh, working with another editor, Penny Falk. Um, about the amazing Carrie Fisher, um, who's Princess Leia, and her mother Debbie Reynolds, who uh, broke out as uh, the, one of the stars of Singing in the Rain, and has had an amazing 60-year uh, career. And so it's a mother-daughter story, and uh, it's about aging women and um, and aging women in Hollywood. So these are stories that you don't really see. So I'm excited for that to come out, and that's going to be out on HBO sometime this year. So yeah. Um, awesome. And just to start it off, um, speaking about collaborations, I think also um, you have a very interesting relationship now too because you're doing a lot more directing and producing and so taking on a different role and, and how that builds around what you've experienced so far. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I would say, I think, again, because I've been in, I was in editing, or I have been in editing for a really long time. I haven't, for sure, sure have not left it. I'm actually working on a Netflix project right now with Maya, who's also working. Just keep talking about Maya, who's here in the audience. But, um, but so, but so I, I have not left it. But I've also segued. I found I got to a point in my career after doing it for a really long time, where I became really impatient, which I think is you know, partly my age, and then also partly just the fact that I found I was often, and particularly in documentary, working with directors who were less, you know, often, obviously it takes years and years to make one documentary film and much less time to edit it. So I had done many more, f you know, I may have edited many more films than the director I was working with, and therefore was really, you know, I, sort of in a place where I started to feel like, you know what, just get out of the way and I'll, I'll make the film and, you know, like I don't, or just, you know, much less patience with the process and I think that I realized that I probably needed to branch out, you know, because I was becoming, I was starting to feel stagnant um, creatively, so I thought I would be more empathetic and it would be a good step for me if I tried to segue into doing some of this other type of work and um, which I've which I've managed to do and I find that I'm I am much more empathetic now realizing how hard it is you know sort of the opposite of you Sheila like I've gone the opposite way um, and I also both do think that editors have because we understand coverage and what is needed in you know to make a story that we also can have a sense of that that is you know not to not to brag about all this but we can I feel like we can you know, we do have a sense, strong sensibility about what is needed. I don't know that we're necessarily trained to get it in the field, though. I mean, you can think about all the scenes that you want and need, even in a documentary, but then once you're there, actually dealing with people and bossing everyone around and sort of managing the whole team, like uh, you said, it gave you a stomach ache. Yeah, it is, it's a whole other challenge, but I've, I've actually found it very rewarding, and I think it's, um, I, but it's interesting, because Sam Pollard was my mentor, and he does all three. He produces, edits, and directs, and I think I've foolishly tried to fashion my life after him, or, you know, my, he's my, kind of my, my, um, 
you know, my model. And I was like, oh, well, if he can, if you know, if he can do that, it's a natural segue. And I do feel like it is, that it makes sense. And, um, and then in the, but I do find too, what's interesting is in the edit room, I have no, like Maya, Maya, we're going to talk about Maya again, but she edited my last film. I have no desire to, to, what's interesting, uh, to really edit anything. Like I didn't, I actually am, it's a relief to hand it off to somebody else, which is, you know, it's like, oh, now it's your headache. Like, look at all the stuff that I didn't get in the field. Now it's your problem. <laughs> you know, like, like I actually enjoyed that, you know. So there was a, it was a role reversal for me, so. So a sort of a, a little sadistic revenge <laughs> there. Right on, right on. Um, so um, I'd like to open it up into the audience, and if you have any questions, just uh, throw it out. I can bring over the mic. Hi there. Um, I'm just curious what you think um, makes a good collaboration with a director. Like, what are you looking for? Like, what are some of the things that do get on your nerves um, and that sort of thing? <laughs> Someone who will actually listen, like really listen, even if they disagree with you, and think about it. You know, you don't necessarily have to take everything that an editor has to say about a scene or the structure or whatever, but at least give it some thought and don't just brush it off. I mean, you've hired us for a reason, and part of that's our, our brain and our structure and our storytelling. I think directors say the same thing about editors. I hope so. Because I ask for that <laughs> in interviews. I say, what do you look for? And they say, I want someone to listen to me. <laughs> you don't have to agree with what I have to say, but I should have a say. And of course you should have a say. It's your movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I find that, that a lot of um, that conversation happens before you get into a project. Um, I find that the directors that want to work with me it's because they've seen my work and there's already, the conversation is starting at, you know, at one level already with them. And, um, and, and then if, you know, if it's first time directors then then you talk to them a lot and, and find out what they're asking, what they want. And, and it also depends on the story. If you want to really, you know, if you're really into the story and you want to work on that and with editing, a lot of has to do with timing, right? Sometimes you miss out on some really great, stars because you're taken and you're working on somebody else's work i mean project um that is really interesting too um but i think that in terms of the process um i i feel like listening is a big thing and i also feel like an open-mindedness to try different things and to try different things at uh, you know, at different stages of the process, not to be afraid of trying something really radical uh, and really experimental, even if we have a rough cut that is kind of working. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, being open to try something new um, and being open to the feedback that is ca also coming from the outside when we're, showing, when we're showing the film and we're showing the rough cut. So I think that that, um, you know, that openness can, take the film in so many different amazing places. I, I think, again, direct, this is mine. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I think directors say the same thing. They say, um, 
I want to be able to try things and I please don't you know argue with me I, I just had an interview where I you know I asked why something didn't work out with another editor and and yeah the first thing I heard was I want to be heard out and the next thing I heard was I want to try things you know we waste more time trying things uh, or arguing about trying things than just you know attempting them so I think that that definitely is those things go both ways for sure I, I think a lot of times editors and directors want the same things but sometimes it's like being in a in a relationship relationship like you kind of have to figure out it takes a while to figure out like well, what do you mean when you say that you know <laughs> or it's like traveling with a friend you're like oh oh okay you do things a little differently okay uh well no we'll do what you want to do today that's cool you know so I, it it's like I, I think a successful collaboration is like how it's listening not just about story ideas but I'm sort of listening and to how somebody thinks and how they, what they're interested in in their own material, you know, and and you know, and the reciprocity of that, like to for the director to listen to what, like what sparks ideas in me and what I'm interested in and what the themes um, really stand out to me as, like that's part of the process of like, okay, like what's important to you, right? Because when you're making a documentary, especially, like it's really about figuring out what's important in the material. Like there are probably a lot of different ways you can tell the story. And so um, it's important to start getting on the same page about what you think is important, I think, early on. I would say, though, one last thing, but just on a really practical standpoint, I think as an editor, I know sometimes people will approach you with their concept and they will, you know, you. I, th I also have like a list of questions that I ask as an editor mm -hmm. and, and as a director too, but as an editor, I will, you know, oftentimes I will say, you know, I'll ask them their vision for the film because sometimes you'll have someone come to you and they'll say, I have a great feature film on, you know, X, Y, or Z. And you'll say, great, how many hours of footage do you have? And they'll say 30, you know, and you'll be like, uh, <laughs> you know, you might not have a feature. You know, like if they're, you know, you have to really see if they're married to a certain length. You know, how many, I ask them about how many shoots they've done. I ask them if they're talking about, is this a verite film? Do they envision this as a verite film? You know, the style of film, is it archival? Do you have any archive? Do you have a budget for archive? You know, particularly if it is, I mean, obviously some films have very large budgets, but if you're dealing with like independent, I think that sometimes when directors are not, you know, are new or, you know, have done, not done this type of film before, you have to really, you know, have a serious talk about what, and also what you think you know, the, the, the possibilities and limitations might be, because I think sometimes often you can get into a situation where they have this vision for the film and it doesn't necessarily exist. You know, do they have money for additional shooting? What are, you know, what are they planning to do? Because you can also end up in a nightmare of someone who never really is able to finish their film as a result, and I think as an editor that you don't want to be in that position. You don't want to be, because it's your career too. You want the thing to be successful and to get out there and get distribution and go to a festival or something, you know, and to advance your career just on a very practical standpoint. And it doesn't help you if, you know, you, there might be jobs that you don't want to do. You know, that you might be like, oh, no. Or if, as you said, like, there's been 11 other editors on the film, what happened? You know, like, yeah, why have there question. been 11 other editors and why haven't you been able, you know, wh why haven't you been able to finish it? Oh, no one, you know, they, they wouldn't listen to me. Yeah. Well, you know, like, what's the common denominator? You know, so these are questions that I often ask as an editor, just having 
you know, done it a lot. And then as a director, you know, as Sheila mentioned, there'll be questions that are, you know, like, uh, be, you know, I've, are you interested in this kind of film? I think that's the thing. Are you passionate about this? And do they have experience doing, it doesn't have to always be exactly that because editors are very flexible and talented, but do you have the ability, you know, is this something, does this material speak to you? Also, what's your vision of it? If they can look at like some of the footage, we'll talk, I'd like to talk about vision beforehand. So we might be on the same page, you know. Sometimes there's a sensitivity they need to have or that I, you know, I may not, th you know. I think it's good to talk about the ideas you both have beforehand before you commit because as, you know, you guys have said, it's like a relationship. You're Then once you're together, it's like you're married, you know, which is not always, you know, can go badly. It <laughs> can go really well or it can go really badly. I'm hoping this is relevant for other people in the room, but I'm making a career switch into editing. Um, and I'm, I have similar background. I was a producer, executive producer, network person. So I've done a lot of storytelling and I have a very strong story brain. And I have done some editing in the past for personal projects and other things. I took the Edit Center class. I'm sort of building, I'm like doing a lot of working for free and you know, just like giving it up basically. <laughs> and, uh, and then producing on the side. I'm wondering if you guys could speak to any advice you might give, you know, while I'm sort of on the path. <laughs> Thanks. Advice about? Just advice on making the transition and sort of getting to a place where I'm actually, you know, making money working as an editor. Because, I mean, I, I actually have my first job on a feature right now, on a feature doc that I cut a little trailer for and we won some money. So I'm basically getting it to assembly stage. But I'm in this place where I have a very, you know, I've had a very sort of senior job um, in another life and so I'm just you know I'm just trying to sort of figure out how to make my way back you know on this new path back to a place that feels like I'm succeeding and you know starting to get sort of good paid work um, and working on things that I care about and with with people that I respect and you know really want to work with and you know so I'm just wondering if you could give some advice on sort of how to proceed mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Something that worked for me um, early in my career was um, taking a lot of jobs that were kind of like fixing films. Um, there were really short jobs. Um, there were films that didn't have, you know, they only have uh, budgets just to work for five five to ten weeks. And you really had to change the film. Like, the, it, w it wasn't a workable rough cut. And so it was like really intense. Um, and those, you know, a few of those films got national broadcasts. I mean, they weren't films that were gonna, you know, premiere in, in Sundance or Tribeca, but um, that's how I built my resume pretty quickly. And um, that's how, you know, I got to be known as somebody that could take a film to a, a pretty decent national broadcast, probably on PBS. So, and, and then I also had a lot of scenes to show from those films like pretty quickly. So in the course of like two to three years, I did quite a bit of those films and uh, and that helped me a lot and I built my resume like that quickly. Um, also when I was researching this topic, I had another editor that was talking about um, when you're at a festival or whatnot and you see a film that you really like um, going up 
afterwards to the director and striking up a conversation. You know, maybe you have a similar interest like Gita was saying, and this is something that you would already have some sort of language to speak about. And from there, who knows what kind of a connection you could make. But I think you're already on the right path. Um, a lot of times there are taking on those free jobs and, you know, building up uh, a bank of experience because that's kind of what really everyone is looking for. Um, something that you've actually been able to work with somebody, it works out, and you've got some work to show for it. So that's that's one way to do it. <laughs> like them. That's true. Are there any other questions? And well, in my experience, obviously with fiction, you you know you have the scripts, and um, your film, ultimately, what you edit is only as good as the scripts. You know this this, and that is, I actually find now fiction after working in documentary to be sort of a luxury because the editor ultimately, I mean, oftentimes you know there there are films where the script maybe you know may not do enough and then you guys you have to figure out devices and other ways to to make it work but again there's only so much footage you know unless they're going to go do pickups so um you know with that you have you have you know you have a limited material that you're given i really i think what i enjoyed when i segued into documentary and it was i think after 9-11 a lot i was working in features a lot i w worked with a bunch of feature film directors and then i after 9-11 a lot of the feature film work left new york um like a lot of posts moved to california or just elsewhere because there was such a fear of you know something happening here and it all going wrong and and i found that um that segueing into documentary, you know, I really enjoyed it because I do feel, and as you guys, you guys will probably agree, but the film is ultimately really directed in the cut, you know, because you can, and the and and as an editor, you have sort of you do take on whether or not you're acknowledged for it, a co-directing or producing role a lot of the time, because you know the story can be told in so many different ways, and um, so I so I enjoyed that a lot more. I think that. Obviously, there's the ethical <laughs> part of documentary film. If it's journalism, you know, you obviously you cannot, you know, completely manufacture the story, but there are so many different options to it. You still have to tell it again. Characters, I think, in any in documentary, I, and you guys may agree, but I think or or disagree. But do, like characters are again what people hold on to a lot of times. What makes a great documentary, I, what difference differentiates a documentary from a news story, is really the people and and the human aspect of it. And without that, you know, ultimately you might have just a you know you you have what feel, can feel like an extended news story. And I think that is also true in fiction. You know, it is about telling the story with, you know, your characters as a vehicle, organically. And I do a lot of, and I think we all do, a lot of social justice, you know, issue-based films. And it is always so important to have, you know, human beings that the viewers can latch onto. And their story has to have an arc, ideally. You know, even if it's fragmented, you have to have an arc for it. You know, there has to be sort of some sort of beginning, middle, and end to their story. Even if it's like a multi multiple people in the cast, you still have to feel like their story pays off. And I think that's true of both fiction and doc. That was good. <laughs> 
You all mentioned, or I don't remember who I'm so mixed up now, but um, the film that didn't get finished, you know, the, um, have any of you been a part of a film that you poured your heart and soul into for a year and then the director is the one who can no longer give anymore and you're stuck at this stage where the film might never get finished due to the director's lack of motivation or you know the emotional block that comes Should I go? Um, I've been in a situation where it didn't I didn't finish the film <laughs> um, but in everything that I've done we've we've made you know we've made a work we finished a film I, I don't think it's I mean I think that once they have the budget to bring s uh, an experienced editor the the film usually unless there's a breakup in the relationship with you know between the editor and the director um, we have a pretty good chance that, that, that the film will be finished um, you know especially by the time that the budget runs out um, but you know I mean there's a lot of situations where those relationships don't work and you're either replaced as an editor or you choose to leave the project and then after whatever happens with the project after that um, you know that's where it gets tricky but I've been in situations where you know the relationship didn't quite work and the film was finished by somebody else I would say, I don't have personal experience, but secondhand experience, it does happen. Directors can't finish the project. They can't, they can't end it even. Like they just want to keep working on it indefinitely. And it's hard because as Giza said, you know, you, you need the thing to come out so that you can say, I did this, you know, otherwise your career doesn't advance. So it's perfectly, well, it can be heartbreaking. It's perfectly reasonable and sane to say, I got to move on. I have had I've had both experiences. I've had the experience of not finishing a film because, you know, because th there was you know the director there was a problem with the director you know or we just didn't get along or there was some some issue and then I've also had the experience of having you know the director just sort of run out of funds or and and never be able to and kind of give up you know and that's really tragic too because you see all this potential and you put your heart into it but I think like. It is like relationships, and I think a lot of projects, honestly, in editing, as as um, you know, as was m as somebody sort of to play on this, but a lot of projects are abandoned. Like you never really, I think, with editing, you can, you know, one of the perhaps the downfalls in some ways of the technology that we have is you can edit the film forever. Whereas I feel like at a certain point you would run out of tape, you know, when you it was a splicer and like and film. Now you can flip it up, you know, you can flip a shot upside down, and you can make somebody, you know, you can always call someone and make them say a line into the phone, and you can, you know, you can. There is sort of, um, you know, an endless process. And I think some people just, you know, some directors have a really hard time walking away. And somebody once, I think it was Sam, Sam Paul had said to me, he was like, you never finish a project. You just, you abandon it. You're finally like, I'm done. You know, and you, or there's a deadline, a festival deadline. And you're like, shit, I have to finish, you know, and that's it. Thank you. I find that when the rela the relationship is working with the director, I mean, I do find in, in a lot of situations, you know, I, I have, as an editor, I've pushed the process along to get it done, to like at least have the director feel like it, 
there's a good version that is finished. Um, and, you know, and, and, and try to get to the place before they run out of money to keep the editor on. Um, so, and, you know, I mean, there's been situation, a couple of situations also where, you know, they kind of wanted to abandon the film even when you were just starting. And, and in those situations, you, you, you end up taking the role of the, of the director in a way where they just don't want to see the footage anymore. They just hand everything to you and, and they're like, here, whatever you do with it, like just show me in like four months. Um, yeah. and, and, then, and then, you know, you're the one that is pushing the process. Hey, Sheila, you mentioned uh, Final Cut X. <laughs> um, tell, uh, I'd love to know what systems you're working with, how flexible you have to be, how many different systems are you working with, and things like that. Um, right now I'm working on Avid. Um, I know Premiere, and I've done jobs in Premiere, and that's fine. I've done many jobs in Final Cut 7. If someone asks me about X, I say no, because I don't know how to use it. Um, but basically, you know, at the end of the day, they're all just tools, and they do the same things, and you kind of remap your keyboard and remap your brain a little bit and just work with it. I think there were a lot of problems in the beginning when 10 rolled out in terms of, yeah. yeah. Right, and Premiere felt like, oh, okay, this can save us. Yeah. I see I see postings for X stuff. It seems to be like commercial stuff. and um, But I, I do commercial work, and it's either Final Cut 7 or Premiere or Avid even sometimes now. So I, I managed to avoid X. And it's just like, I, I kind of have to draw the line somewhere because you do remap your brain, and it, it does take, you know, some doing. So I don't want to shift too many gears. <laughs> Another question I had for the panel, um, we kind of, all of you kind of touched on it in a way, um, but about um, collaborations with other editors and how that plays out and, like, how, how are some ways that you make that work and, like, um, then when you're talking about credits towards the end of the film or whatnot, how does that work? Um, like what kind of conversations do you have with the director at that point? So Fetty, I think you mentioned co-editing first. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I always find it a great luxury when I'm afforded the opportunity to work with another editor, um, from the outset or you know, if they come in at the last minute and we're really crunched, great. I mean, I love having that other mind to bounce ideas and problems off of and, you know, everyone will attack something a little bit differently and that's marvelous. Um, those opportunities don't come up as often as, you know, it'd be great if every project there was multiple editors. That'd be so fun. Um, I lost the thread of the question a little bit. Uh, <laughs> got really excited about working with other editors. <laughs> um, for sharing credits, I mean, I think, at least in my experience, it's kind of been at what point that other editor is coming on board. Um, if you've been on for a year and they're just coming on for the last couple months, they probably get an additional editing credit 
um, you know, sometimes an assistant who's done an awful lot of work maybe gets a, you know, a little bit of an additional editing credit, you know, if they've really put a lot in. Um, sounds like that was some of your experience. Um, anybody else? I guess, I guess with the credit, um, I mean, I, I have... I have a, an early conversation w when they're about to hire me and um, and I add to, you know, you usually, I usually make sure that there's a deal memo um, and that they will give me at least additional editing credit because you don't know what's going to happen in the process and if, you know, if there's going to be a breakup in the collaboration. Um, and so I just, I just make sure that I at least get will get that one credit. Um, it gets a little tricky. I mean, I, I've never been interested in you know asking for any production credit. I, I can think of one situation in in a film where I've I've I felt really strongly that I was taking on some production duties as well. Um, but I, I again because I so so far I'm not really interested in 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 moving into any kind of production or directing. Um, I haven't ever brought up that credit. The writing credit gets really tricky. Um, and, you know, and I think that that's, I mean, in my case, that's just a conversation that I've had casually with the directors that I work on. And, um, and I share with them what I think about the writing credit. Um, it's, a, it's a credit that I don't particularly like in documentary just because people see it in so many different ways. But, um, you know, but but when I'm talking to them, I'd let them know that if they're thinking of a writing credit to to, you know, to consider the editing process as writing the film. Uh, and and then the, the conversation just goes off from there. But but there was an article was it the New York Times. There was an article someplace where th where there were filmmakers, mostly directors talking about the writing credit in documentary. And it was I was really kind of surprised as to what those directors were describing as writing for documentary. So it's just a credit that I feel kind of uncomfortable about and I don't per uh, particularly really like. But if somebody's going to take that credit, then I do talk to them about, you know, how you are writing the film in the edit uh, editing process. So um, I feel like a lot of times I've been successful in asking for a co-producer credit, um, which is sort of, you know, the producer who's in charge of story, if you were to sort of look it up on like a, yeah, a Hollywood set list, um, that that's usually been the one that's worked for me. Never had anyone say no. <laughs> so far. I would say with you guys, I don't even I don't even know the writing credit. I don't even is that narration? I now I have a question. Yeah, no, it's a th it's a thing. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's narration. Sometimes it's. That's it's uh, yeah. I've no this cr that's yeah. I've I never mean, even heard about yeah. that. Yeah, I've, I've heard of story producing obviously and co-production, but no, a, lot more. a writing credit. <laughs> if you like, unless you wrote narration, yeah. What is it? Even in the documentary program, the you know the main like web page will have the director's credit and a screenwriting credit for documentaries. So and that's the only credits that they show. You know, if they're only naming the the documentary like on the main, it's like a really yeah, it's a strange. And there was an article, there was an article where you know they asked some big names, some big documentary directors about it and they, they they got very different responses from it some it's people talked about strange. if there's narration or mm -hmm. if they wrote a treatment 
for the you know for the documentary really early on they would consider that writing the documentary so wow. and, and some people <laughs> talked about you know the editing process as the post-production as you know yeah, yeah it's really strange credit I would say though, I'd say it's, that's so interesting. I think though, f I mean, for me, just to to go back to the co-editing, I agree, totally agree with you. I love having another editor. I always want another editor. Like I feel like it's it's so ideal to have someone whose brain kind of might work like yours, and and then and also too, it just lessens the workload, <laughs> which is really nice because it's always there is like obviously there's all I feel like there's always like too much editing it's very underestimated how much time things take and you know and then the time period is always too short but it is often a luxury to have another editor I mean like on a lot of films it is not affordable but that's why I think the assistant like I, I find too if you can get you know if your assistant is interested and not totally overwhelmed if you can then hand stuff to them it's great but I've had like the fortune to often like on series now often it's like you co-edit right there's other editors and it's great I mean Sheila I got to work with you on your last film on the Carrie Fisher film and that was like I, I think it's such a you learn from the other editors you work with yeah. I find and and uh, I've worked mostly on um, um, projects that just cannot afford that you know just having two editors at the same time, um, but also just bringing somebody as a consulting editor has been really fabulous uh, in my experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think um, what I would add is sort of uh, yeah. There's there's two things when you consider credit. There's um, whether like you come on as a finisher, which is how you kind of got your started, uh, and also what you said about um, sort of making sure at the outset that if things don't work out in the relationship that you will get a credit is really important mm -hmm. um, because those contingencies happen more often than not, honestly. So it's good to have that you know sort of set up at the beginning because it, it will change. Um, you'll leave or they'll run out of money and then by the time they start again, you know you won't be on it and they may come to you at the end and say, um, well, don't you, mo you know, you did a lot of work, but this person's come on now and, you know, I want them to have main editor credit and bump you down and, you know, you'll be like, but I, wait, you know, <laughs> so it can get really tricky at the end and, you know, some of it, and this ties into the other, you know, two prong, the second prong, which is um, the timing of when you ask for things too, you know, ask when you're hot. <laughs> because it's a little bit like being a surrogate being an editor and towards the end you know things shift and you start to feel like the director's like I did everything <laughs> you know you could just sort of feel the dynamic change a little bit so um, yeah it's important I think also to think about the timing of when when you ask for things not just what you ask for I'm um, sort of following up what she asked because I'm on the other side of that. I was producing at 13 and uh, interstitial stuff, cutting everything. They was offlining everything in Final Cut. I got really, really good at it. Cut a Kickstarter trailer for a friend's doc. She got funding, and I ended up cutting the doc with her. And this ended up <laughs> going from like, hey, we like each other a lot, to like a two-year relationship where it, it we didn't realize we were going to be together for two years. And the last year was largely side by side. Um, and then I've been doing other short things and now I don't want to do broadcast anymore. I just want to do like independent interesting things because <laughs> when you're doing stuff at 13, everything is the same thing. Mm. And in the last year I've done like three short films. I've done this, this feature. Oh God, 
March 22nd, Women in Film is screening it at the Anthology Film Archives. If I don't tell you all to come, people will kill me. She's always afraid no one will come, but it is a lovely film, you can go see what we do. Uh, it was very much, you know, developing a relationship. But how, once you've gotten to that other side, you sustain a career doing that? How do you get the word out to let people know, 25 to 50 an hour, Brooklyn, boutique edit house, you know, one guy, take your time to cut your film. How do you spread the word wh about what you're doing to carry that forward into a career doing it? Because that's it, that's all you really want to do. I think networking, you know, uh, I think we talked a little bit about this, right? Uh, going to festivals, introducing yourself to directors that you like, cold cold calling. I mean, uh, Marion Monnier is a is an editor I worked with briefly on Free Angela. She is French and she, I remember her saying, uh, there's a director I really want to work with. When I get back to France, I'm just going to email him and say I want to work with him. And I think it was the, it was the Iranian director, um, Asghad Farhadi. We did a separation or whatever. And I just, I was like, oh, that's an idea. <laughs> just straight up cold call somebody and say, I like what you do, you know? All right. You know, and I was like, tuck that away. I haven't done that yet. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, you, or you do that at a festival or, and, and also other editors, you know, you, you meet other ed editors at festivals or drinks events or you tr keep your eye out for that sort of thing. And you meet people and you say, you know, I'm in the trenches too. And because a lot of times, like you said, we'll be working on something and a project will come along and you don't, you'd like to do it, but you can't. But you, you then really would like someone else you know that you like to work on it. So um, developing good relationships with your directors is important, but also developing good relationships with uh, other editors is critical in this field. You guys, I don't know if any of you are part of this, but there's also all kinds of online social media groups that, yeah, there's the Editors Collective on Facebook, and there's there's all kinds of, um, you know, and I, I don't remember, and I'm they might, I'm, I'm not sure how you get, you know, pulled into that, but but there's you know there's so many groups like that where people post all the time asking for I need an editor, you know, is there there's even a there's even a you guys do you guys have you seen the website the Facebook um, think I need an assistant editor. Mm -hmm. It's called I need an assistant editor NYC, mm -hmm. and people are always, always, always looking for assistant editors. I'm always looking for an assistant editor. Like I feel like it's an endless thing. And then people are always looking to. Then now there's this weird thing of like the junior editor, which might speak to what you're talking about. Someone who's really not quite an assistant, you know, or associate editor, someone who's like between being an assistant and a full-fledged editor, and is willing to do editing work for less. So that these are places where I feel like. You know, then like on f on Facebook alone, there's like probably ten sites that you can you know find if you just put an editor, you know that that where people post and you know and there's databases and these are great places I think you know I feel like I found people off of that all the time or you post and then people respond, so. I just wanted to add one thing, which is that a specific subcomponent of the networking is being vocal with the directors and the producers and the other editors that you work with in terms of letting them know what kinds of things you're interested in working on. Because you know, if they've heard me say 10 times, oh, I really want to be working on feature-length verite docs, they're going to remember me when their friend calls them and says, hey, I'm looking for an editor for my feature-length verite doc. <laughs> so you, know, you want to make sure that people know what it is that you want to be doing. And also Nywift has um, mixers that are open to the public, and that's another way to come in and meet people. Um, if you're interested in documentaries, there's the D word, 
thedword.com and that's a whole online community of um, documentary professionals from around the world and there's always people looking uh, on there for uh, translators, fixers, uh, camera people, editors, but it's also a place to discuss documentaries and films that you're working on. Um, there's an, also a new group called the Blue Collar Post Collective, and um, they're a smaller organization that's really making some ground in um, bringing more women and um, people of color in the post-production business. So they have a meetup that's happening in the middle of March and they're also doing an editor conversation. So check them out. Um, but yeah, it's the Blue Collar Post Collective. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of ways that you can get out and just like you say, tell somebody that you're interested, you're available, you have these skills blah 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 <laughs> are there any other questions yes hi thank you Sheree um, also there's a documentary committee on uh, NYWIFT NYWIFT has a doc committee um, just to add to your comments um, I just hi I just completed uh, my first short doc so um, I took on two story advisors because I wanted at least two sets of eyes looking at my work. And then I was very careful from the, from the onset to ask for clearances of images of research. However, um, there were some images in the dock, and I'm, this is going to be for festival use only, not commercial distribution, um, unless I re-edit it. Um, but I was very careful to, and I wanted to get anyone's, you know, if anybody wants to chime in. There were some images that were not cleared. They last from anywhere from one second to six seconds. So I did some research. I went to one of my advisors. I did some research online. I looked at lawyers' blogs, and I said, how serious a problem could this be? And the, the, the bottom line seemed to be, you know, if it's for festival use, it's really not going to be an issue, but if you get distribution, you better be concerned. Does anyone have any comments on this? Changing topics, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, again, we're in my. I'm not a archival. You know, usually this is like an archival producer's question, but in my experience, I would say that that is true you know it depends but it really it really varies I mean it really depends there's the question of fair use I don't know if you've looked into fair use obviously fair use if you're film but usually you need like a fair use lawyer to vet it and to get some sort of letter from them saying that it's okay to use the festival circuit it's true you can get away with a lot more because people tend not to attend you know like or if they do you know nobody's going to chase you to hunt you down for that but if you get any kind of distribution you absolutely have to buy and purchase and clear or fair use everything yeah or if you put it online she's right. right yeah i mean any sort of major distribution P pov or you know pbs or anything will you well they'll require insurance and to get insurance you're going to have to get that letter from uh from a lawyer i mean fair use you know it, it seems to be getting more and more flexible which is a, the nice thing it's changed a lot in the last 10 years i would say um but uh there's still a procedure for it, so yeah. Yeah, I have not posted it online. Okay. Yeah, just yeah, be careful. Err, err on the side of caution. <laughs> I just add one thing, which is um, I cut a feature which aired on A and E, 
which was about a bunch of Marines, and the footage was shot by this unit, the guys on their cell phones and their cameras. So we tried to clear everything as best we could, but it was very difficult. After the broadcast, even though everything had been vetted, somebody came out of the woodwork wanting money for their shot, and basically they just, you know, settled with the guy. I think he took, you know, a hundred bucks, so they were lucky. But <laughs> very lucky. It's it pays to do your, your homework ahead of time. What would your advice be to like, I feel like I'm qualified for it and I can do the job, but I don't exactly have the credits to show it. Do I go the side of junior editing, assistant editing, or do I just hope I get that opportunity and meet the right person? I would say there's definitely plenty of people who want to do short documentary. And if you start doing sh like short documentaries help you to, because it's the, you know, obviously documentary format and storytelling. I think that's the big thing with documentary is a lot of people, directors want to know that you can tell their story so they don't have to be fully responsible for it. <laughs> you know, it's like much easier if they have you to help, you know, to, to help do it, to make something out of it. And so, so I think um, the only, you know, sometimes the challenge with going from commercial, you know, to doc is that. So you can do short documentaries or also you can take things that are not paid well. You know, like you could probably get a feature doc where they're like, we have no money. Would you do it for deferred? Or we have, you know, half the money you would normally make. You know, those might be options that I would suggest. And again, I would think any of the ways that we discussed going about it online, you know, I'm looking for, you know, or and, and if you can get a junior editing position or that is not necessarily bad and then you're working with another editor, you know, they might be thrilled to have you and even though they realize you're overqualified, you know. Another thing, uh, if you're used to promos, I imagine that's usually a quick turnaround type of thing. Um, maybe throwing something off the wall, but there's also um, filmmaking competitions where you have to very quickly pull off a short film over a weekend or whatnot, and those happen usually a couple times a year. So you might look into that because then you can get on a team um, and make a connection with somebody else that has a longer project later on. So that might be an idea, a little off the wall, but you never know. Just just to repeat what was said, I, there's a lot of uh, great stories out there that don't have funding yet. And I think that, you know, that can give you some great opportunities to get involved with a project really early on. And I mean, one of the one of the first films that I edited was Deferred. I worked for two weeks and the material was amazing. And I was, I mean, I started, I started looking at, at the material. It was mostly very dead and I started drooling. I was like, I want to edit this documentary. But, but the first three weeks were on a trial basis because I was pretty green and, uh, and HBO was interested in, in looking at some scenes. So they just hired me for that. And, and then I got the job because of that, because of that opportunity. And I just jumped on it. Um, so yeah, creating a relationship with, with, uh, you know, with a project that could, could become an amazing project later on and then just, you know, doing it for a little paid or not paid and maybe, you know, doing some paid jobs on the side, but that's a really great way of getting in. Um, 
Um, how technically um, uh, is the, uh, adept do you feel you have to be as an editor? Because things are changing all the time. Um, I mean, I started on film uh, on uh, 35 and, and then uh, moved into Avid and then into Final Cut. I have not made the transition to um, Premiere yet or... Uh, but I feel like it's um, things are always changing, and I'm always having to scramble to keep up with. How do I get these files to somebody who lives in you know, uh, you know? It's always moving things around um, as we become more mobile. Do you just pick it up as you go, or um, are do you find you you're tech pretty technically adept anyway as a? Uh, I. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've been told a couple of times that I'm, I'm pretty fast and I, like, you know, I look at my hands and, like, they're not moving. I mean, I'm not pressing keys really fast. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's, that's because, you know, I, I think it has to do with storytelling. I think that's, you know, that's the main skill that you bring onto a project as, a, as an editor is to to kind of decide okay that scene is going to be about this one thing and it's not going to be about 30 things that that scene could be uh, and I think that that's you know having a plan for a story uh, and and you know thinking about um, how to build the arc for 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 a film I think that's the skill that that you really need as an editor uh, and then you know all the technical stuff just kind of follows I'm learning premiere now i'm starting a job tomorrow that is only premiere and you know it's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> uh it, but you know every all the technical stuff you can look up you know how to send files to somebody else i mean that's stuff that you can just google and you, you'll find an answer you know so yeah and if you want to get more in-depth training, there's also lynda.com, which you can do online. That's what I'm using. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I was thinking about it. <laughs> it's good to have fr friends, too, that you can call and say, how do I do this quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So when Google fails you, which it does sometimes, at least you can text somebody surreptitiously and be like, what's yeah. the? how do I flip that shot in this? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's always been really helpful, too. When, when I was starting out, that was super helpful. And that comes from having friends that are editors. <laughs> so it's a good thing. Question in the back? Uh, Speak up. <laughs> uh, hmm, that's a big one. Um, yeah, I think learning to be decisive quickly was a big thing, especially when you think like I'm an artiste. I must think of this for very, very many minutes. Like you know, that's important, and you can bring that in at some point. But sometimes just getting stuff out there really quickly it goes a long way towards building uh, trust and confidence. Um, in your relationship with the director. So, um, yeah, learning to be really decisive uh, was something that that took a minute, but um, I realized that was a, an important skill. And, yeah, and not having a scene be about 30 things, which directors will sometimes really want. They want to tell all the stories in inherently possible in their story. At the same time. 
at the same time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you want that too, emotionally. But story-wise, you know, that just kills the film, kills the momentum, and you have to... Yeah, so you, it's, it's I think, it's especially when you work with first-time filmmakers, which happens a lot in this field, because, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. You spend all that time working on a documentary, you're like, that's crazy, why would anyone ever do this? <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, like, they'll... Uh, they'll want to tell all the stories and you um it's in your interest to sort of grab the thing by the reins early and say this is let's start with this and then we'll see where we can go so um so your question is looking back um what i've learned or <laughs> one big lesson Um, I think just making sure that, uh, you know, in, in with digital editing and nonlinear editing, it's so easy to move things around. I mean, I, I was trained to think about, uh, you know, going to film school and, and, and learning from other editors to think about the arc of a film and to think about the film you know, like the big structure. And, and I, I usually, you know, I usually think about films in three act structures. And then my each act has also an arc, you know, uh, and, and thinking about how you're building a climax. And if, if you're going to have a reveal, then you have to have a motivation for a character. Um, but sometimes I think you fall, and I've, I've done this, you fall into this, you know, kind of like the beauty of like just putting one shot first and then the next shot and then the next shot and just seeing how that that you know that feels and I think that you can get in a you know kind of stuck in a trap if you start if you start editing like that and and I've cut you know I've cut myself doing that uh, sometimes and and I just have to step back and and you know and look at the big picture and big structure again I would even add to that that every scene should have, yes. if not an arc, at least you know somewhere that it needs to go, something that it needs to convey, and anything that's not serving that needs to be thought about. Um, I had something else I wanted to add, but I'm not thinking of it right now, so <laughs> I'll pass it on. <laughs> I'll come back to it. Um, I would say the biggest lesson for me is that everything always takes longer than you anticipate, that you think that people, you know, you'll say to someone, oh, I can do this in five days, and then you're like, oh my God, no, I can't. You know, like it's, it's you know, editing, again, just you should always, you know, like don't underestimate <laughs> the amount of time that it takes. And then the other thing, I think the big thing for me, and it was a transition from feature films to, to documentary, is in documentary, and I, this is sort of the rule of it all, and I think Sheila said this in the edit room of you and pissed off the director, but the idea of show and not tell. Show and not tell is like the critical rule, and it's interesting because coming in feature, f like feature films, unless, you know, meaning narrative, scripted films, unless there is narration, you know, th in the beginning, they organically show and don't tell, you know, and I think the big issue with documentary is that, you know, a lot of times we have interview and we have talking head and, you know, so, some films are formatted that way, so it's it's different, you know, it could be a choice. But if you have, particularly with a verite film, you know, to try to organically 
you know, convey what is happening without someone always telling you as much as possible to let, if you have it, if it's a verite film in particular, to let the verite lead and not, you know, the voiceover, the narration. Of course, there's many different styles of film, but um, but that is, I think, one of the biggest things because I, I prefer, you know, verite films are sort of like a passion. Um, so that's one of the big lessons that I learned coming from, you know, it was, it was a hard adjustment for me to figure out that you, oh my gosh, like the, you need someone to, to give you context here all the time. Whereas a script, you know, a scripted film is written that way. <laughs> the dialogue is exactly what they want you to know. And that's not true in documentary. Half the time you're trying to figure out how to edit it so they say <laughs> what you want them to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you hear a lot of times advice to editors is trust your gut. Um, and the interpretation that I was thinking about just now listening to all of you guys, um, if something's bothering you, it's bothering you for a reason. So listen to that instinct and try to think about it logically, I think is something that took me a long time to sort of get to a place where I understood that, oh yeah, I really should pay attention to that. If I could say something, you know, really, We've been talking a lot about listening, you know, the director listening to the editor, the editor listening to the, but we also really have to listen to the footage and what it tells us and, um, and be listening throughout the entire process because sometimes, you know, I find myself that I'm trying, I have this idea for the scene and what the scene can, can say in the film and I keep pushing and pushing the footage to give me that. And, and you have to realize that the footage doesn't want to give you that. Um, so you have to keep your ears open to what the material is always telling you. No, you, you can start. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, it, two of the films that have kind of stayed in my in my mind a lot lately have been um, uh, how to. Oh my god, I forget the name. Um, how to survive a plague, mm -hmm. um, and that's you know it, it's a film that is is very much. It's like there's a lot of archival. And a lot of times, the scenes that were m made out of the archival, they were edited in, in a very, very taken away. Um, and uh, and Wasteland has been in my mind for a long time. So Pedro Cos, and if you see, you know, his other films, um, they're very different. I mean, some of them are like very, very to heavy. Other ones are like very archival heavy, or or with, you know, with a lot of in sync interview, and. I think what's what's common to the films that I really like or the the editors that I really respect and admire is that um, they just take me on a ride uh, and 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 the dramatic arc of the film is, is super tight and and I just feel like suddenly I'm not paying attention to to the filmmaking process but I just emotionally I, I'm just immersed in the film and it's not necessarily you know I mean I, I have a special love for Verite because I really enjoy editing it but but you know 
there's some very successful variety films and there's some not very successful variety films. So I think I mostly react to just the emotional experience of watching a film. Um, and, you know, if it's really taking me on that emotional ride. One film that I've been thinking about that I saw recently was The Big Short, which mm -hmm. had a very specific editing style, which I think is really interesting. Um, I recommend taking a look if you're interested in editing. Even if you don't like it, it's its, its own thing, and it's really interesting. Yeah, that's actually, uh, that's a great thought. I try to watch as many, I tend to work in documentary, but I try to watch as many different types of things, even if it's just like a little advertisement or, you know, uh, a short or feature film. I watch everything with the eye to, you know, storytelling is storytelling. And what can I take away from this to inform even documentary storytelling? Because, um, you know, what cinematic can be, you know, commercials now are incredible. Um, they're, I think Tribeca is introducing like an integrated storytelling award, and I think that's just the beginning. You know, I think there's going to be a lot more stuff like that because um, we have the resources and and uh, and there's so much demand for content now in different mediums. So uh, yeah, I think watching a variety of things um, in informs me a lot. Um, I wouldn't say I have like a particular editor in mind, but um, I do, I tend to like uh, archival films. Um, I love curating history. Um, so it's interesting to watch, yeah, like something like How to Survive a Plague, you know, there's like an artistry to it, or like Listen to Me, Marlin, I don't know if you've seen that yet, or, or Amy or Senna, like these yeah. ways of using um, archives that really take you on a ride. No. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, Maya also edited that. Who we keep referring to in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Maya my should be up here. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I, I really like those those films for how they take you on a on a journey. And um, so yeah, I don't know. I think just sort of being open to a lot of different things is a good way to always inform your craft. Yeah, and I would say for me, I also I lo I mean I also have a weakness for verite or the idea of cinema verite, and I think even if working with archival, I like to try to make it feel like you are immersed in it. You know, that is like that is you know a, a pleasure. I think to have it not just be snippets, but to you know to have it play out a bit. And it's funny you mentioned the the James Brown film. That was actually a great. I, I worked. I edited or uh, co-edited. I should say with. Um, with uh, with Maya again in the audience, but the, we we co-edited this film about James Brown, and I, I was Alex Gibney directed it. But it was honestly that had such so much. I mean, his performances, you know, it was something that we could let play, and that was such a pleasure, you know, to be able to to work with that, you know, that old type of um, you know old archival footage and then let it play like verite. Um, and, and you can I just make an observation that I was noticing. You guys even. Like the use of of stills, it, it would, like you created a little verita scene with like the sound and the stills like going from the. I really like that. 
thank you that's sometimes that's all we had we were like (laughs) oh okay but um but also too you know it's funny i actually come also i originally even before editing i studied animation so i really love animation and that informs a lot of i think some of the way that my brain thinks you know it's again it's sequential art but um but i like the idea of of animation which too also comes from that show and not tell you know background i have as much moving image as possible i really enjoy i sometimes have a hard time with even though ironically so i worked on when the levees broke which was nothing but talking head and that i found challenging but it was good for me it was a good exercise for me because you had to find a rhythm and movement within all this talking head you know of people's testimony um but so that was a but i i would say yeah definitely you know my weakness is that anything that feels like it you know i like you know footage that feels like it has movement and you know and and that's sort of my you know what i like to edit Sure. So I'm, I've started on a series for Netflix. It's a documentary series. Right now, the working title is Untouchable. It will be out, I imagine, sometime next year. Um, and then and I have a couple other projects. I'm doing a series for the New York Times um, on race relations, but that is uh, it's directing and producing. It's a series of New York Times op docs. And then I have a feature film, which is doing the pe- the festival circuit, and it is um, that I directed, which is meant to air on um, on PBS. And then there is a um, oh, that's uh, called a journey of a thousand miles, Peacekeepers. So it premiered last year at Toronto, and it's been doing the festival circuit. And um, and then I'm also f- right now on f- there's a film that I'm finishing, which is about a bomb disposal unit in Pakistan, in the in northern Pakistan. And it's a film that I am co-producing and co-directing. It's a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, I'm currently working on the third episode of a three-episode PBS series about World War I. Um, and then I'm also directing my first short documentary projects um which i filmed in india in december and still have a few interviews to do but i'll be cutting in the summer um i just finished a film that um premiered sundance called when two worlds collide and we got an award at sundance film festival so that was great and uh and it's gonna be on the festival circuit and and hopefully we'll be either broadcast or finalizing distribution stuff. So it'll be out in the world soon. Uh, and I just finished a um, film for ITVS that um, it's going to be out in the world in sometime this year. And I am about to start a project on a Mexican singer called Chavela Vargas, which was a big, big name in Mexico in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and uh, and that's I've been watching a lot of music documentaries. The first time, yeah. Good thing they're popular now. Yes, <laughs> lots to watch. <laughs> so I just finished the Carrie and Debbie documentary, Bright Lights, and I was on that for a long time. So I'm taking a little break and working on my own stuff. I'm actually working on a narrative series that I'm writing. <laughs> so hopefully that will be out in the world someday. But I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're supposed to put yourself out there, so I'm looking. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, I was just consulting with some filmmakers uh, last month. Uh, um, they're working on a feature, and so they were looking for somebody to bring in some structure to it about Montana ranchers and trying to hold on to their traditions. Um, so we'll see what ends up with that. And then I'm also working on a series of shorts about women entrepreneurs that's part of a web series and um, also in the business of looking for feature docs. So um, thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. And everybody, all that you shared, that was really amazing. I appreciate that. Um, and if y'all will join us out in the hallway, we can get to know people more intimately. Thank you. And everyone, I just want to thank again Technicolor Postworks um, for hosting us here, Blue Collar um, Post Collective and Post NYC Alliance. And thank you all. I want to thank Carla and Sher I'm sorry. Oh my God, Sheila and Carla and Betty and Gita and Sheree. Thanks so much for putting this together. So everyone, do join us outside. We have a little drinks, a little um, festivities, and thanks again.